I watch film, but I'd be honest, I mean, when I first started watching film, I was just watching the game. Welcome everybody to the UK Packer podcast. It's your host at NFL on Twitter. And of course, I'm back with the at UK Packers podcast. And I have a humdinger for you today. Uh, this is a guy I've known from a little bit back from my days with NFL Ireland. And it's another than founder, the guy who set the whole thing up, PFF, Pro Football Focus. We have Neil Hornsby on the line. Neil, how are you? Yeah, very good, Stephen. Thanks very much for inviting me. Not at all. It's always a good old chat. Once you want to talk analytics and numbers, Neil, there's no better man in the whole planet than your good self. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I, I appreciate that. Let me put people on to Pro Football Focus because if they don't know about it at this stage, I'd like to you know, grab them from the rock that they're under and tell them to get a grip because Pro Football Focus, Neil, and I hope you flesh this out for me, you grade every player in the game uh, over a certain amount of snaps. Um, and you have start doing college grades now, I believe. Uh, fantasy advice. Uh, you have a fantasy goal package on your website, and even podcasts now. Have I hit all the bases? Yeah, pretty much so. We uh, we started out. Now, bread and butter is really providing um, analysis, data, scouting services to NFL and college teams. We uh, we've only latterly started with uh, college. Um, the NFL, we're very well in. We have 23 of the 32 NFL teams as customers. Yeah. Um, with college, we've only been going at it for a year and a half, and we've got 15 NCAA teams. Um, we, fi- we feel that we've got a great roster, and we're building on that. Um, we do all 267 NFL uh, regular and postseason games. We also do the 65 Preseason games, and we do 870 FBS games. Um, that's about 96,000 man hours of effort. So, uh, yeah, that's the that's the level of um, detail that we go into, Steve. That's insane. So, for a Packers fan like the the guys, the very knowledgeable crowd that we're talking to now, if they want to find out where Aaron Rodgers ranks in the quarterback ratings, they go on to Pro Football Focus. They can get a login. It's a paid for service because, as you said, I mean the amount of of stuff behind this website is colossal. So is that basically what it is? They jump on, they can see how everybody grades, what their what their rating is in pass, in run. You know, is is that basically what it is, Neil? Yeah, it is. Um, we we have different packages for different. You know, obviously our team customers get everything. Yeah. Um, our media customers who pay you know hundreds of thousands of dollars um, get you know uh, slightly. Um, uh, less than that but still a lot yeah. and then obviously our consumers uh, our consumer customers can can see some summarized versions and ostensibly that's fantasy advice and that's uh, player grades really so we're trying to give people an indication as to how these guys graded and as you talk about Ed and Rogers probably not the best year to go and check <laughs> on Eden, but still eighth overall in the PFF rankings yeah, so I mean, if we look at the likes of that, so do you grade, and I'm pretty sure you don't, you don't grade quarterbacks the same deal than the regular media outlets about drop passes. Am I right in saying that if Aaron Rodgers throws a sweet in the money, in the basket shot to Jordy Nelson, it's very catchable, but Jordy Nelson spills it. Does that hit against Aaron Rodgers' quarterback rating? 
Uh, it certainly doesn't. It goes for, as a positive for Aaron Rodgers, his quarterback right now. You being the Packers fan that you are, you will remember a certain pass against the Lions. I can't think whether it was 2012, 2013. Yeah. Donald Driver beats, I can't remember which Lions tight end. This is in Detroit. Yeah. All ends up. Aaron puts a beautiful 50-yard uh, in the air pass uh, down to about the 20-yard line. It was the game where Aiden got injured and got taken out later in the game. Yeah. Donald Driver, it hits Donald Driver in the hands, bounces back out again, bounces to the cornerback who's been beaten, and the cornerback takes it back for so many <laughs> yards. Yeah. So on the stat sheet, Aiden's got an interception, Donald Driver's got nothing, and the, the cornerback has got an interception. Yeah. On our <laughs> in our book, Aiden Rodgers has got a significant positive grade. Donald Driver's got a significant negative grade, and the cornerback, even with the interception, still has a negative grade because he was beaten. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was beaten all into, and only by a fluke of circumstances did he get an interception. Yeah. So that's what we do. We put context onto every single play. Yeah, I go on to Pro Football Focus now, and it just looks like a million dollars. But it didn't all start like that, Neil, did it? How did TFF come to being? Because I've heard the story before, but I want you to bring it to our listeners. How did it all start? Okay, so it was really just a, um, a hobby for me. I, uh, I, I had a job that um, was, it paid me reasonably well, but I, you know, I didn't particularly enjoy it. It wasn't, it wasn't something I, was, I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I don't know, I just... You know, when you're not particularly happy in something you're doing, you perhaps put a lot of effort into your hobby. Um, I did that. Um, it wasn't um, – it was never meant as to be a long-term career, Steve. It was never yeah. ever did I think it was going to get to the fact that I now live in Cincinnati. I do this job, you know, permanently. Yeah. Um, you know, we have 23 NFL teams of customers. Uh, that, that, that was just – that would be insane. That was just a – you know, you know, outside the bounds of dreams, you yeah. know, but, um, yeah, it was just a hobby. It was just something I'm a bit of an obsessive. I go perhaps <laughs> a little bit beyond what most people would see as reasonable for a hobby. And, um, you know, I caused my wife a few gray hairs and, um, but I, you know, you just you, you do some strange things in your life, and some of them pay off, and some of them don't. This one paid off big, big time for me. Well, look, I completely understand because uh, Ireland are playing Italy as we speak. Um, yeah. So this is recorded of a Wednesday. I'm an Irishman, and here I am sitting to a, an Englishman in Cincinnati, missing the game that we could qualify. So I know the lengths people go to about their hobbies, including myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's absolutely true. It's uh, it's great that you've done what you've done, and I'm delighted for your success on the podcast. That's an awesome job. Yeah, because Neil, I, I sort of mentioned it to you before. Now we properly come on air that uh, the UK Park has actually reached the heights of 22nd in the podcast charts, the highest NFL one in the UK. So I'm sure with your contribution, Neil, we'll shoot straight to number one. So I thank you in advance for that. Well, uh, <laughs> if that's the case, then uh, I assume my royalty check will be in. <laughs> yeah, just send on your PayPal details and before yeah. that, the $10 that I owe you. Yeah. Um, so, Neil, I'm a massive fan of, your, um, of all your work. I think it's absolutely unrivaled. As you said, you can't actually get the stats that you deliver, like that Aaron Rodgers throw that you had. I mean, other people would grade him negatively. You took that as a positive thing when he put it in the bread basket and the wide receiver couldn't take it home. 
So I had this debate, and let me tell you this story, and I'll give you a chance to retort her, right? So I stand by your stats, and I think they're amazing, right? I was talking to a guy about BJ Raji uh, online, and I went, clicked onto your site as a consumer, popped on to see how my Packers were doing last year, and I saw that BJ Raji was 97th out of all interior defenders, I think out of a list of 124. Either way, uh, he was nearly notched out of the 100 mark. So... I put on Twitter, uh, you know, what people should know that BJ Raji was 97. What they think is that he was amazing. And I think there was an awful lot of sentiment there with BJ Raji. But then I get into a debate with a guy and he said, oh, don't be looking at stats. They're awful. Uh, you know, they don't show the real picture. And I said, yeah, well, pro football focus do. They grade every player on every play, on every snap of what he should have been doing and where he should have been. And he said, yeah, but, you know, they don't look into how good he was with the run game. So I went back on to Pro Football Focus, clicked in and saw that his run game defense was his worst. So I got back to him and said, well, Pro Football Focus says his run game is worst. Ah, then what did they know? Sure, some of their grades change. So can you explain to me sort of the process that Pro Football Focus go through to really robustly back up all of your stats? Yeah, so what we do is let's, let's just consider an inside zone run say for example yeah what we have is we have um what we call a playbook for both offense and defense and what we will say is in each of the offensive line and the fullback and the you know tight end every category this is what is expected of this particular player on this type of run yeah this is what's considered as better than average this is what's considered than worse, worse than average. And we have a very strict grading system that goes on for pages, just yeah. on one player. Yeah. Uh, and the same on defense. So what we're saying is this is what we would expect this player to do. And if he's getting less than that, then he'll grade negatively. And if he's getting more than that, he'll grade positively. And if he's getting pretty much the same, he'll grade as a zero. You know, it would, zero is an expected grade. So we have one guy do this, which takes about eight hours worth of grading. Then we have another guy, completely blind, do the same thing, which is another set of grading. We put those two together, and a third guy comes along and looks at the discrepancies, yep. and then that provides another set. Then we have uh, one of eight NFL ex head coaches, ex not head coaches, NFL coaches come along with an average of 15 years of experience, and they do another pass. And then we look at that all over again, and that's the final grade. So we come to grades whereby, you know, a player like Vince Wilfork, who we know is particularly good against he got 19 ta sorry he got 19 he got about 16 tackles last yeah. year something of that sort of ilk and Vince Wilfork you know still grades extremely positively yeah. still you know still very you know still very good as a run defender you know if you want to look at a nose tackle, the best nose tackle that we had graded last year was Brandon Williams from Baltimore. Yeah. He was about plus 33 um, as a run defender and slightly negative as a pass rusher. The thing with BJ Raji is, is BJ Raji has never been... He, he, is a big guy in the middle, but he doesn't anchor particularly well against the run. He's not a good run defender. Yeah. When he was at his peak, at his absolute best back in 2010, he got good pressure. 
he got about 50, you know, 50 plus quarterback disruptions that year, which is fantastic for a nose tackle, you know, superb. And, you know, that was where his notoriety came from. But I don't think he's graded positively against the run any particular year for us. I mean, and look, you guys know what good players look like. You've got Mike Daniels there. There was, a, you know, you know what good defensive line player looks like. Yeah. You you try and tell me that there's not a significant difference between Mike Daniels and BJ Raji. You know that 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 makes no sense to me. I mean, we grade Mike Daniels. He was our 11th overall grade. Sorry, he was no, he was not. It was much higher than that. He, Mike Daniels was our sixth overall graded well. uh, defensive interior player. So only behind Aaron Donald, JJ Ward, Geno Atkins, Sue, and Fletcher Cox. Yeah. And in, in front of K1 Short, Linval Joseph, Damon Harrison, Jarrell Casey. So, you know, it's not like the grading system's throwing out a load of rubbish, yeah. you know, either. That's the sort of myth that we have to dispel because this is what I want to ask you as well. You said that you service 23 of the 32 NFL teams. Do you ever walk into the facility and go up to somebody and they go, you know, player X, he's our guy. And you can say, well, I'm looking at player X here and he's not doing too fresh. And do they ever throw the book back in your face and go, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. He's brilliant. It's, it's really interesting you should say that. I'm not going to name the team, but typically – that teams have one player on their books that they just happen to like. He's a good locker room guy. Yeah. He always turns up for practice. He's the life and soul of the locker room. <laughs> He's a team leader. He always does the right things. He does the charity events, all of this sort of good stuff. And he's just not particularly great on the field. Yeah. And obviously our grades don't, take into account all of those things. And they don't take into account a linebacker who's beyond the, you know, past his peak and who is there because he's the only person who can line somebody up. And I don't really, well, I will mention one player because um, I think it, I think it serves the point. London Fletcher at his peak was a fantastic player. Yeah. But towards the end of his career, London Fletcher was there for one reason and one reason only, because he was a team leader and he was the only person who could get the Washington Redskins lined up. Yeah. Nobody, but nobody believed that he was really worth his place on the field. But they can't say that. They can't say, <laughs> well, he's not really worth his place on the field. <laughs> but, but he's a good locker room guy and he gets us lined up properly because none of the others are smart enough to get it done. Yeah. You know, that's not a conversation they can have. So there's and there's a number of players on each team, but it's interesting that there's normally only one or two. You know, well, you put a list of players out for for the coaches, and they'll say they'll go through and they'll go, yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, no, that's the one I disagree with. <laughs> and you look at it, and you'll think, oh, I know why. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's typically because there's compensation bias when they do their grades; they're taking into account. You know, not just what he did on the field, they're taking into account the fact that he, you know, went and did a charity event for them last that nobody else <laughs> wanted to do. Yeah. That he got the rookies and made them, you know, do an extra couple of 
you know, lapse and stood with them. So they're taking a whole host of things into account which aren't necessarily production on the field and should never be associated with it. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because actually I, I'm a keen listener to the other NFL podcast and Ross Tucker had an, an analytic guy on as well and he was sort of saying something similar that, you know, people don't agree with statistics sometimes because you can't take those intangibles into account. You can't take the fact that, you know, maybe the guy's going through a rough time. But generally, when you look at your stats... Do they show that a player grades positively most of the time? Or do you find that you can have a player that fluctuates from game to game? And maybe the reason for that is maybe emotional maturity. Maybe he's a rookie who can't step up to a primetime game. You know, maybe you can sort of see maybe that's an injury that's niggling him there for maybe two or three games and he's come better. Do you see many inconsistencies in a player's grade, not your stats, but the player's actual grading? Yeah, absolutely you do. And let me explain a lot of why you see that. So Paul Alexander, I don't know whether you know Paul Alexander, but he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the NFL. He's a 24-year line coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's produced some of the best offensive linemen and some of the best offensive lines that we've seen over the last 10 years. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And he talks about our stats in a very interesting way. And he said, this is how I use your stats. He said, I will look through, when I'm going up against a pass rusher, I will look through against that pass rusher who he's played against. And he'll go through and I'll say, okay, so he didn't get very, very, he, he hardly got any pressure against this offensive lineman and this offensive line. Now, I know that they use this style. Therefore, we use that style, so I know I'm going to have a reasonably good game. Yeah. And and the thing about it is, you know, players play differently against different styles of opposition. So, for example, certain offensive linemen struggle with bigger guys. Certain offensive linemen struggle with, Short, you know, the the faster guys. Yeah. Um, a classic example was that was one of, um, funnily enough, one of Paul's players, a guy called Nate Livings. Nate Livings went on a big, big money contract to the Cowboys Yeah. Um, from Cincinnati. And <clears throat> Nate Livings was an interesting player because if you went and looked at, and if you only selected five or six games to look at, um, you would probably pick the games that the Cowboys picked to look at. You would probably pick him up against Justin Smith. You would probably pick him up against Haloti Nata twice. Yeah. You would probably pick him, you know, against some of the better players in the NFL. Who yeah. are the guys? So you want to see him against the best. But that was interesting because Nate Livings was a big old unit. <laughs> and funnily enough, those bigger guys didn't really tend to cause him that many problems. What yeah. Nate struggled with was some of the smaller, faster, feistier guys that nobody had heard of. So what they they didn't see when they looked at that tape was this is some of the downsides of Nate Livings. It's what I call subset scouting. It's why I believe that you look at all the tape on all the games and every play because it takes into account everything and you see those trends, those trends that you're talking about. There are some players who just play great against everybody. Yeah. I always, you know, somebody said, name the most consistent player you've had. Now I said it was probably Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis never, he just didn't have a bad game. You know what I mean? He was. Yeah, I thought you were going to say J.J. Watt, Neil. Well, J.J. Watt's interesting. And J.J. Watt, to be fair, doesn't have a bad game. He, 
he, he just has some average games from time to time. Um, JJ Watt is is now at the level where you know I, I we did some stuff for NBC that was actually on the NBC um, Sunday night football game Houston against um, New England. Yeah, and we did some work on JJ Watt on passing players. Now JJ Watt is taken account of with either a double team, a triple team, or being left unblocked because they're, they're running some form of scheme at, at him um, on about 50% of passing plays. That's unheard of. Mama. You know, it's unheard of for an edge rusher, which he effectively is now, to be to have that much extra time. Plus the fact, you know, I don't know how many muscles he was playing with. He was talking <laughs> with. You know, I'm... I'm talking. JJ Watt has good games and not. And JJ Watt has average games and very, very few of them. And he has a ton of really good games and things in between. Yeah. I'm guessing when I was talking about Patrick Willis, Patrick Willis was just consistent. You know, he was like plus two, plus three every single game. And about performances, like you know, being consistent and sort of you can see a trend in, in a good player. How about trends in positions? I mean, how do you see the NFL going? Because I think a few years ago when I spoke to you. You were telling me, yeah, the trend is certainly if you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, you're more than likely going to hit the playoffs. We saw that the Packers struggled. And they struggled again because if we look at even the PFF stats on our wide receivers, James Jones, 45th, Randall Cobb, 55th, Devontae Adams, 109th. Is it still paramount in the NFL to have the best quarterback and you're set? Or do you see it pushing towards maybe more running backs or more tight ends? No, I think it's. I, th- I don't think you're ever going to go away from the quarterback. I mean, it was. Listen, the Packers still got through. You know, to the play. You know, they were still. They still beat Washington in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Aiden was still, even despite everything, was our eighth-ranked quarterback, which for him is unbelievably low. Yeah. But it was still, you know, he still got them there. Any other quarterback wouldn't have come close to getting them to where he got them to. So I always look at it upon it as relative. Um, the other thing is, you know, let's just talk about Randall. Of all the players on the Packers, let's get back to the Packers because I know this is a Packers podcast and I don't want, want to bore <laughs> on the Packers for fans. But let's talk about Randall Cobb for a second. Right. I mean... Randall Cobb was getting really no separation at all, and he got to the ridiculous state of affairs where they were sticking him at halfback for obviously about 50-odd snaps. That yeah. They had him in the backfield because they were trying to run him because he couldn't get separation. So the only way to get his, uh, you know, his hands on the ball was to put him in the backfield as a running back. Yeah. You know, and in the last few games of the season, towards the end of the season, you know, they were running him out of, you know, in legitimate halfback roles, yeah. you know, somewhere between three and five snaps, you know, three and five runs a game. But the, but the, here's the issue, and this is the real disappointment that I had with Randall Cobb, is who he was covered by. Yeah. You know, it was a absolute bunch of no names. Yeah. You know, if you look at the list of people that covered Randall Cobb last year, you had Sherrick McManus, Marcus Burley, Tavon Branch, Jimmy Ward, Lamarcus Joyner, Patrick Robinson, <laughs> Bennett Ben Wickery, Josh. It, other than Chris Harris, who covered him for 15 snaps against Denver, and Captain Munlin against Minnesota twice, to yeah. be fair. It was just 
No, but and to a lesser extent, you, Quandre Diggs from Detroit, who they did a good job in picking up, but that he was going against some of the lesser cornerbacks in the NFL and still not making separate. You know, there's something, and you maybe know more about this than me. It's when you have a performance that's so out of kilter with what you expect. Yeah. You always go to the old adage is, is that guy injured? And I don't know whether you, you know, was there any, is there any news that uh, Randall Cobb was injured last year? Yeah, there was news that he was playing with a shoulder injury. And then, of course, he jumped up and had that one-handed catch and he fell uh, on his back and apparently hit the mic and the mic punctured one of his lungs, maybe even collapsed his lung. Um, yeah. And he was in trouble then. But yeah, certainly the word was that he was playing with an injury. But Neil, can I put it to you then? And this is what you see from pro football focus stats. It's like, say, we'll take a guy like J.J. Watt, and I'll bring it back to the Packers now in a second, that yeah. you'll find a guy on the defensive line grades higher than he should because they have to put the resources into J.J. Watt. So we all know uh, Jordy Nelson went down. He was a guy, he was, you know, sideline catches. He could stretch the field. You know, he's, he, can, he can hit a seam route, you know, straight up the middle. Um, and he, he did cause people to have to put their best on him. Now, I know you said that the best wasn't on Randall Cobb, but does it take a player like Jordan Nelson to make Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams get that separation from other players because they're kind of always in the back of their mind? The safeties are always scheming for maybe Jordan Nelson making a cut, you know, deep downfield. I, I think that's definitely true. I think there's definitely an element of that. Um, one of the interesting uh, things I go back to was I was always a big fan of Brandon Moore, the right guard for the New York Jets. Yeah. And it was such a shame with that butt fumble because everybody, you know, everybody wants to look at one play and say that Brandon Moore was an idiot because he got pushed back by Vince Wilfork, you know, yeah. and it just so happened to end up as one of the, you know, the uh, most infamous players in NFL history of the yeah. recent years. But... Brandon Moore was a really interesting guy because if you looked at his grade when he had Damian Woody on his right side yeah. and then you looked at if you had um, uh, Hunter or um, one of the other guys there, Wayne Hunter, yeah. um, it was his grade went down significantly when he was having to look out for Wayne Hunter. Yeah. Now, he was still a good player and he still graded well, but there was definitely something about him having to slide and help out Wayne Hunter that took away a little bit from his game. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think that can be overstated. There was a difference. It was a marked difference, but it wasn't enough to turn him from a good player into a bad player. Yeah. And Randall Cobb went from the guy that virtually every defensive coordinator I talked to last year was frightened of yeah. to being a bad performance, that's, that's a lot more than just Jordy Nelson. Yeah, because, I mean, with Jordy Nelson going out and Randall Cobb's subpar performance, the Packers didn't do too well. And people were saying, you know, it was down to the offensive line. People got injured or were playing at a position, which brings me to the opposite side of the ball in the defense. Yeah. And the one buzzword really is Clay Matthews. Um, yeah. I, I t now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was on a podcast here in Ireland and people wanted to discuss with me, oh, isn't it terrible that they've moved Clay from outside to inside? He's not the same man at all. And so I did my usual, logged on to Pro Football Focus, yeah. and I was convinced, and it's a while now since they moved him in, that his stats actually increased once they moved him to the inside. He wasn't that outside threat to get at the quarterback, but his tackles increased. He was a good run defender. 
mm-hmm. can you back me up or make an embarrassment of me? <laughs> well, where there's a yin, there's a yang. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the usual thing. Look, here's, here's the issue uh, as far as I'm concerned. Claire Matthews, in my opinion, is an outside 4-3, uh, sorry, 3-4 linebacker. That's yeah. what his position is. Yeah. He's an okay-ish <laughs> inside linebacker. But yeah. that, you know, that that isn't really what, what he, you know, he was there for. He started off okay when they did it, but over the course of time he started to wear down. Um, he probably picked up some injuries playing that position. It's a much more physical position. I know it doesn't sound like it, but when you're having to take on fullbacks and guards, the world, rather than just try and rush around some, you know, some big tackle, yeah. it 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 plays a part. So he started off and he did a, a pretty reasonable above average job, and then for the last seven to eight games of the season, he didn't do particularly well as a run defender. Now. This is my big problem with the Packers at the moment, as far as I'm concerned. It's a lack of pass rush. Now, to some degree, that's been offset by the defensive line, but you're wanting it to come from your outside linebackers, and you're wanting it to come from Julius Peppers and Claire Matthews. Now, when you look back in the day, back in 2011, when he was in his halcyon days, Clay Matthews probably accounted for about 30% of the quarterback disruptions by the Green Bay Packers. So one man accounted for 30% of the quarterback disruptions. Yes. Now, but now in 2015, not surprisingly, because he's playing very little on, you know, the outside, only about 10% at outside linebacker. That number is down to about 15%. It's broadly halved, his contribution to the team. But the more worrying part is, even if you take out last year, it's been a steady decline. And my concern is with Claire Matthews, he is no longer the player that he once was. And one of the problems with fans is, they don't want to, you know, when one of their superstars, and let's make no mistake about it, Clay Matthews was one of the best players in the NFL back 2010, 2011. Yeah. But no question. And they just don't want to let those superstars that they've, you know, they they keep hold of them longer than potentially they should. Yeah. Listen, the best player on the Packers defense by a mile, by a mile, a country mile is Mike Daniels. Mike Daniels is a top, you know, five, six player in the NFL at his position. You know, Claire Matthews isn't the player that he once was. Julius Peppers is absolutely no longer the player that he once was, although he's still a decent player. Um, but the good news is you've got some interesting cornerbacks coming through, you know, and they've made, they made some good draft picks last year. And the secondary is, um, you know, is actually coming along quite nicely. And how do you feel about it, Neil? I mean, you say that, that our secondary is quite good. Morgan Burnett, haha, Clinton Dix. You know, they ranked fourth uh, for Burnett and eighth for um, Clinton Dix. So mm-hmm. the secondary is really getting up there. Can a defense get by with subpar, you know, people at the defensive line, players at the defensive line, with a fantastic secondary that sort of, you know, shores up the pass because they're kind of scared to throw into these guys? Or do you really need 
some premium guys on the defensive line, premium guys in the secondary to really make yourself a top defense and something to be scared of? I, I'll try and give you, it's a, it's a different scheme, but I would have said the Packers were an interesting. So we had the Packers as the number one uh, secondary in football last year in pass coverage. Yeah. Sorry, not secondary, pass coverage. They were number one. Yeah. The Panthers. And they, they got by with really one high-quality player on the defensive line, K1 Short, who's of a similar sort of ilk to Mike Daniels. is about that sort of level. So that's one player on the deep, you know, and you can talk about Jared Allen, but he's, you know, he's finished. And, yeah. you know, there's there's no real body else. It's all about that secondary and what they did with their linebackers in coverage. Obviously, you know, they've got that. Yeah. But so you, to answer your question, you can get by without a significant pass rush if you've got decent uh, coverage as the Panthers showed. Now, was the Panthers' pass rush terrible? No, it wasn't terrible, but neither was it great. Yeah. Now, you know, if you're looking at uh, where the Packers rank, we had them ranked last year as the eighth in pass coverage. Yeah. And I think that's fair, but here's the deal that I think is true with the Packers. All of those guys should get better. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Demarius Randall, he really impressed me last year. He graded out about average, but I only expect him to get better. You know, Micah Hyde was a guy who I really liked. I thought, you know, for a guy that nobody was talking about, he came through. And Quentin Rollins for, you know, 300-odd snaps played incredibly well. You know, very, very good in all facets of the game. And here's the thing about Quentin Rollins. Not only was he good in coverage – but he was a really good run defender. He liked to bring it in that area too. And when they brought him on the odd occasional time on pass rush, he got a little bit of pressure too. So there was there's a lot to like about the secondary and the secondary going forward, in my opinion. Yeah, and if we look at last year, I mean, losing the NFC North crown was a bit of a bitter pill because we lost to the Vikes. Um, but then, of course, seeing him getting clobbered uh, in the playoffs was always tasty. And it kind of ended up that we had a better run in the playoffs, especially hitting the Redskins. And, of course, we nearly downed the cards as well. Unfortunately, we didn't. From sort of a stat perspective, can you sort of predict what this year should be able to hold for the likes of the Packers and the Vikes? Are the Vikings still going to be up there, do you think, contending? Because from what I see from other stats, Teddy Bridgewater is by no means a polished quarterback and he's going to have some issues. Yeah, one of the problems with Teddy Bridgewater is it, one of the most ridiculous stats in the NFL last year was Teddy Bridgewater had more seven-step drops than anybody else in uh, football, any other quarterback in football as a percentage. It was almost 45%, which is ridiculous. Yeah, And he had the third or fourth lowest average depth of target. So what's the point in dropping back seven steps behind a crap offensive line yeah. and then dumping it off, yeah. which is effectively what Teddy Bridgewater... I think, I think North Turner's scream does not suit Teddy Bridgewater. I think Teddy Bridgewater could be an excellent sort of West Coast, you know, lot of slant routes, lot of yards after the catch, you know, picking you know picking guys up on intermediate routes, reading what the defense is doing, and you know making a few runs from here and there. I think he's a, I think he could be a really good quarterback. What he isn't is he's not a deep passer. Yeah, and that's what North Turner's 
you know, def- uh, offense is. Now, Minnesota is an interesting team because they've got some phenomenal players. They've got phenomenal players at all levels of the defense. They look as if they're getting better. Um, they've tried to shore up their offensive line. I don't think they did a particularly good job of that. Um, you know, when you're going after guys like Boone and people like that, it's, you know, these are guys that were good back in 2012. But um, do I think the Packers um, will be better than Minnesota? Probably because of Aaron Rodgers and because they'll have Jordy Nelson back. And, yeah. And, and I expect the defense to move on a little bit. What I was disappointed about is the fact that they need they need some middle linebackers, sorry, some inside linebackers who can cover on third down. Yeah. And I don't think there's a single packer who is a good enough coverage linebacker at the moment, and that's by far their biggest weakness to me. Yeah. Well, hopefully now with the draft, because we drafted Kyler Fackrell, so apparently he's one of the best third down backers uh, to come out of college. So uh, hopefully he'll do the job first, Neil. Yeah, Fackrell's interesting, though, because Fackrell's a bit more of a pass rusher. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. He's definitely something you need. And Make no mistake, we're like Kyler Fackrell, but that's not the sort of player that you're looking at. If Joe Thomas is your best pass coverage linebacker, that's not a good place to be. No, no, <laughs> it certainly is not. But Neil, thanks very much for all your time. I think what we'll have to try to do is, if you have time, and I know it's the worst time for you during the season, yeah. if you can maybe get you on halfway through the season and we can sort of touch base and see where we land. Okay, that's uh, no problem at all. I'll do whatever I can. You know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Stephen. And uh, if you know one thing about me, you know I love to talk about football. (laughs) Hey, look, we're both peas in the pod. Cheers for that, Neil. Okay, no problem. Nice to talk to you, Stephen.